I want to welcome you into the Sunday preaching podcast of the Point Church located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. I want you to grab your Bible and go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm not forgetting to dismiss the kids because they're going to stay with us today, all right? Uh, This is a family day where we want the kids just to sit with mom and dad. And I want to say to all the kiddos, mom and dad, if you have a a pen and a piece of paper or something, uh, would you give that to them? And I want to give them a challenge as I preach this message today to identify four words that begin with the letter W, okay? I'm going to give four words today that begin with the letter W, and I hope you'll listen really close and write them down. And then after the service, if you uh, want to come up and tell me what those four words, kiddos, I'll stay all day, all right? I want to hear that you listen today, okay? And uh, we believe that uh, these kids can learn and grow in this hour as well, don't you? And uh, how many of you know that kids listen to everything, okay? And so I'll try to handle the the Word of God correctly. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 14. I'm uh, today in uh, the third sermon in a little series on having a gospel mindset. So I ask you, how you been doing this week? How you been doing this week with your mind, with your thoughts? How many of you just would say, Pastor, I mean, this week I have experienced spiritual warfare in my mind and trying to keep my mind in the right place. I've got good news and I got bad news. The good news is that God is going to help us through it. The bad news is that's never going to change, okay? Because the Christian life is not a, a sprint, it's a marathon. And so we're talking about keeping our minds right, keeping our minds conditioned for the gospel, to think about what we already know. Now, I want you to think about this quote up on the screen by Robert Yarborough. He said, often people do not require new information so much as fresh exposure to what they've already learned. Now, I meditated on that in my office this week, and here's the thought I had. I love studying the Bible. I love, uh, you know, like taking a passage like we have today, and digging through it and drilling down deep and maybe finding a word that that I can go back and study historically in the original language uh, that might fit into history or context. How many know that that can be exciting, right? When you find something new and something fresh, uh, I love to study the Bible. And and that is certainly a very good thing. But I want to pause for just a minute and, and challenge you and say that I believe that The Christian life is probably, for us, more about what we already know than what we're going to discover. In other words, we need to constantly be reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how that Christ died for our sins. He hung on the cross. He shed his blood. He took the wrath of God upon himself on the tree so that we could be forgiven, redeemed, and have eternal life. That's something we need to remind ourselves of every day. Hear me, friends, there's not going to be a new, new, cool story that's any better than that. 
Christ died for our sins. Remind yourself of that. Remind yourself of the truth that no matter what you're going through in your life, that the Lord is always with us. That He will never leave us or forsake us. Now, there may be times when our mind and our our body tells us, God, where are you? Or why am I going through this? And we get in those seasons, we go back to the truth of the Scripture of what we already know that God has said. I will never leave you or forsake you. Paul is challenging Timothy here. Timothy, you're going to always have this battle. You've got to always work at it. You've got to keep your mind focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 7. We saw a couple of weeks ago, he told Timothy, think over what I say, and the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Last week, we were in verses 8 through 13. A strong reminder, Timothy, go back to the gospel. Jesus died. He rose from the grave. When he rose from the grave, he is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He is Lord. That is the essence of the gospel. And when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you enter into a season of suffering, as a Christian, you know that God has not forgotten about you, but he has you right where he wants you. And you're going through that season of suffering in his divine providence, in his divine will, and often on the other end or through our suffering, there's someone else's salvation that God chooses in his eternal redemptive plan to use us as we suffer well, as we go through things, to actually bring someone to salvation. Paul says, I've got these chains on my arms. I'm bound up, not because I'm a criminal, I've done anything illegal, but simply because I have declared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he finishes up in verse 11, 12, and 13. If we die with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. What a terrible thing that will be to experience on judgment day. But verse 13, as we landed last week, he reminded us that when we are spiritually out of gas, when we're spiritually, the breath is out of us. When we feel faithless, God is always faithful. Now, I gave you that little review simply because verse 14 in our text today, he begins by saying, Timothy, remind them of these things. Remind them. Remind them of what? Everything I just read to you in verses 8 through 13. And so there's this gentle reminder, a reminder, a fresh exposure of what we've already learned. Now, he pivots in the last half of this verse by just moving from straight reminders to now giving us warnings, warnings. Uh, How many of you have found in your life that that warnings, those bells and whistles, those red flashing lights, the sirens that go off in your head of a reminder of something that you've been told is very valuable? Now, uh, when I was growing up, my mom was right over here. Uh, Mom and daddy told me about those things on the wall. They're very important to use, to plug things into, but they're not good to stick your finger in. Kids, listen to me. Uh, They're not to stick a fork in and to see what happens or the screwdriver, okay? Don't do it. Don't do it. Tim, stay away from that. 
don't do that because bad things will happen. And that's, that's a warning, right? So when I walk up to it and I look at it, I'm kind of scared of it, and I don't want to touch it the wrong way. How about the hot stove, okay? That stove is hot. Don't touch it. If you touch it, you're going to get burned. Now, how many of you in the house of God today would confess when you were a kid that you would walk over and maybe just stick a finger on it to see what it was like? Okay. All the teenagers are raising their hands right now because they don't listen to anything their mom and daddy said. I'm kidding. I'm only kidding. It's a warning, right? But, but with those warnings, there is curiosity. In that moment when you're about to do something, it's good to have a thought in your mind to where those red lights and those sirens go off that keeps you from going the wrong direction. Now, that's what Paul pivots to, and I want to give you, here we go, kids, four words, four warnings uh, in this text about keeping a gospel mindset. Number one, I want you to see in verse number 14, there is a warning about our words. A warning about our words. Timothy, charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Timothy charged them. Church, the word charge there is a word that many people in this room are familiar with. Our men and women in the military who are serving or have served, we all know what it means to get your orders, right? You've received your orders. You know what's next. Uh, how many of you know that those orders are not a suggestion? They're not a suggestion. Uh, they, they don't give you your orders and say, hey, just pray about this and let us know what you think. No, those orders are this is what you're going to do, and this is where you're going to do it. I tell you that because the word charge here is a military word. It is a, it is a cultural word that, that this charge is a charge before God. Charge them before God. Just let me make an obvious statement here if I may. I remind you that every person is accountable to God. We're all accountable. We are accountable to our Creator. We will give an account for our life. It doesn't matter who the person is or what they think, what their theological position is, or what their geography is, where they may live. Every person is accountable to God. Timothy, charge them and remind them that this charge is not just coming from old Paul, and it's not just coming from you as the pastor. It's coming to them from God Almighty. Here's the charge. Here's the order. Do not quarrel about words. Words. Words matter. Words matter. And sometimes our words can be used to edify, to encourage, to build one another up. Sometimes our words can cause division. Our words can drive people away. Paul knew that it would be easy in a group of people, even Christian people, uh, it would be easy for there to be disputes, which are not good. Disputes are not good, he says, for the church. It's not good. They're not good for the body. Sometimes people in and around the church, and we all can be guilty of this, uh, we have a tendency at times to want to win the argument. Maybe we want to sound a little bit smarter. Uh, maybe we want to present ourselves as more red. Unfortunately, there are some people uh, that are sometimes wrong but never in doubt with their words. I know what I know. I figured it out. 
It's settled in my mind. Therefore, I'm right and you're wrong. Now, when we talk about discussion, debate, Bible study, conversation, I want to give it to you kind of this way. When we talk about uh, theological things among pastors and so forth, we talk about it like this. There are some tier one things, and I'll give you three tiers here, all right? Tier one, tier two, tier three. There are some tier one things that we would call non-negotiable. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is born of a virgin. The blood atonement is the only way that we are forgiven of our sins. We believe in the substitutionary atonement that Christ died in our place on the cross. We believe that the Bible is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. We call those like tier one issues. In other words, we're not going to sit around and debate, okay? Here at church, we're not going to sit around and debate over whether or not Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, we certainly are open to those that are inquisitive and those that are asking questions, and we want to help them understand the Scripture. But even when you're talking about the basic tenet of our faith, that Jesus Christ is Lord, it simply comes down to, do you believe the Bible or not? I mean, you're not going to pound it into somebody's head to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. You can state that and show that from the Scriptures, but only the Holy Spirit opens the eyes and reveals truth, okay? So now we're talking about tier one issues, things that I'm ready and I'm willing to go to bat for, all right? The exclusivity of Jesus, and I could go on and on and on. Then we move down into what's called tier two issues. Tier two issues would be a something like this. Maybe you believe that Jesus is going to come back before the tribulation. Maybe you believe he's coming back in the middle of the tribulation. Maybe you believe he's coming back after the tribulation. The bottom line is we don't know specifically all the details. What we do know is that Jesus is coming again. So tier one is that Jesus is coming again. How it's going to happen kind of falls down into tier two, okay? And then we have other issues that we talk about in tier two. Uh, you know, we talk about uh, words like love and grace. And man, people try to define those words, you know? If you, if you boldly declare uh, that something is sin, some people say, well, that's not very loving, right? Or, or, or we use the word grace to maybe fit a particular situation or not. And, and what we know is that we have to let the Bible define those words based off of tier one doctrinal beliefs in order to flesh it out practically, tier two. And then we have tier three, and I would say tier three are just those uh, questions of liberty, questions of liberty. Sometimes those issues are things like separation. You know, like I'll give you an example. I know some people that absolutely will not go out to eat on Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. They feel like if they go out to eat, they're causing somebody to have to work. And so that's a convictional issue. And so that's just the way they live their life. That, that's kind of down here in a tier three issue, okay? So, so what good would it do, because I like to go to Villardo on Sunday after church and eat, what good would it do for me to sit down with someone and argue over that, okay? We just need to give each other love and grace and understand that that's a tier three issue. Now, here's what happens. What happens is, is that we get into a parting and a parceling of words. Let me illustrate it like this. How many of you know what word salad is? A word salad, that's using a whole bunch of words and saying a whole bunch of things and, and really not 
making it clear what you're saying or what you believe. And I listen to some sermons and some podcasts and things these days, and I'm telling you, there's a whole bunch of word salad going on in the church. God forbid that someone, a man, would get up and preach a sermon, and when he gets done, you don't know what he believes. Or you don't even know what he just said, right? Now, we all, if you're a politician in the room, we love you and we appreciate what you do, but the truth is is that we all kind of have this understanding that when politicians speak, you need to listen very closely and don't believe most of what they say, right? Now, come on. I'm not saying they're all dishonest. That's not what I'm saying. We have this thought in our mind that, that they may use a word or they may make a statement, but in your mind, you know, well, I know what they said, but I know what they think, and I know what they're going to do. God forbid that that would be an accusation hurled at someone who stands and handles the Word of God. We're going to get into that in just a minute. A play on words, arguing about words, because when we, when we don't have clarity in our words, Paul says this, it is not edifying to the body of Christ. You and I are called to encourage and to lift one another up, to edify one another, but when we get in disputes and quarrels about words, he says at the end of verse number 14, it only leads to ruins. It ruins the hearers. And the word there is a word of tearing down a building or destroying uh, some type of structure. It is destructive. And so the, the, the challenge here is, is that for you and I to guard our words, and then there's a challenge for the leaders in the church to be careful and watchful about the words. I want you to know that as leaders in our church, that we try our best to be observant, to say, hey, is there something being taught? Is there something being said? To address that so there are no casualties from words. Words matter. Kids, you got that word written down? The word, the first word is the word words. Now, let me show you one more place where Paul shows us how important this matter is to him. Titus chapter 3 and verse number 10. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. I love what R.W. Ward said. He said, in the end, disputing about words seeks not the victory of truth, but the victory of the speaker. Now, what do we seek as Christians? We seek the aletheia. We seek the truth. Christians, please, please, I, I say this to my own self today. The goal in our life is not to run over someone and win an argument. The goal in our life is to seek and to speak truth. Truth, even in our relationships in the church. The second thing, not only a warning here about our words, but notice in verse number 15, there's a warning about our work, our work for the Lord. Notice what Paul said, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, I uh, memorized this verse when I was a kid in Awana. It's the, uh, it's the key verse or the theme verse for Awana 
And uh, I memorized it, of course, in the King's English, uh, in the King James Version, about a, a worker that needs to be approved, rightly handling, right dividing the word of truth. Paul says something very important here about our work, that our work is a presentation to God. Now watch, even when I stand up here today, as I prayed at 422 this morning, I started praying, Lord, I need you to empty me out. I need you to empty me out. I need you to cleanse my hands and purify my heart. God, that's what I want in my life right now. I'm asking you to do that. I'm asking you to clear my mind. I'm asking you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. So as I stand up here today, I'm presenting you a sermon from a text. But at the end of the day, I am a presentation to God. Here's my life, Lord. Take my life and let it be. Consecrated to thee. I'm giving him. I'm presenting him. Lord, here's my life. I'm presenting myself to you as my creator and as the authority of my life. And I want to go a step further from that. At the end of the day, if all I care about is whether or not you think it was a good sermon, and I don't care about whether or not I please my heavenly Father, I have failed. I have failed. Anybody in the room struggle with being a people pleaser? Some of you got both hands up. I struggle with that, my personality. I've gone through all these personality assessments through the years, and, man, I've gotten printouts two miles long, and then I've read those reports about myself. And sometimes that can be pretty depressing. Anybody ever gone through that? What do you struggle with? How are you wired? I'm a people pleaser. I just am. You know, I want everybody to be happy. I want everybody to hold hands, sing kumbaya, and eat banana splits. That's just the way I'm wired. I am wired. I'm telling you, I'm wired. I want everybody to like me. When somebody doesn't like me, it hurts. I'm serious. It's frustrating. It's, uh, uh, it, it can paralyze you, you know? And you try to figure out, well, well, how can I get that person to like me? As I heard someone say several weeks ago, um, if you want to be a leader, you want everybody to like you, just go sell popsicles. Everybody will like you that way. And listen, guys, ladies, the same is true in your life. This is not about, this is about you, right? Some of you struggle with that. Some of you struggle with people pleasing. And in the service of the Lord, you've got to really do what you do. I've got to do what I do for an audience of one. An audience of one. I've got to work to please him. Whose approval do I want today? Man, when I was growing up, my, my granddaddy, you've heard me talk about him. We worked together, and man, we'd have all these conversations, and he would tell me what he thought I ought to do and where I ought to go to school, and I really did value what he was saying. I really did. And I'm telling you, as a young kid, man, I wanted to please my granddaddy. I wanted him to be proud of me. I wanted him to give me a thumbs up. And there's really nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, exponentially more than my granddaddy, I want God to be pleased with my life. I want his approval. I want his approval on what I do and who I am and how I live. Child of God, hear me today. That is something that every person in this room should be seeking every day in our lives. God, I want to please you. I want to live for you. God, I want you to be proud of me. Notice he says, that in the work of the kingdom, that we desire to be a worker that is not ashamed? I'm not ashamed. 
of the life that I'm living. That should be our goal, right? How about this one? God, I'm not ashamed of the work I'm doing in the kingdom. I don't want God to look at me and say, you're lazy, you're slothful, you're negligent, you're not engaged. I want him to say, I approve. I approve of the life that you're living. The truth is, many people are more worried about what somebody else thinks than what God thinks. So watch, God brought us here today. God brought us here today for us to get these reminders. As it's getting real, church, it's getting real. Our Christian faith, the heat, the furnace is being turned up. As it's getting real, I'm telling you today, I care more about what God thinks than what man thinks. And when we have a choice of which way are we going to go, we're going to follow God, our work. How many of you have read the book of Ephesians before? Most of the time we like to pull that chapter out to whip on our kids with it, right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. It is in there, kids. It is in there. Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. But there's another statement in there that really speaks to me in this message where Paul wrote to those who are employed, to those who have a job. He said this, don't, what, don't do what you do as eye-pleasers, as men-pleasers, but do the will of God from your heart. Oh, please hear me today. When you go to work in the morning, when you go out on the base in the morning, always remind yourself that I'm not just here to, to, uh, to please my superiors. I am pleasing my superiors because I'm a Christian, and that brings glory to God. He's the one we desire to please. There's a book in my office entitled Pastors Who Please People. And I'm going to tell you, the last part of that book very clearly says, you're headed for disaster and burnout if that's the way you minister to people. That as you do ministry, you've got a more than anything desire to please the Lord in our work. A warning, a warning about our words. A warning about our work. I love what the first Pulitzer Prize winner, Herbert Bayard Swope, said. He said, I can't give you a surefire formula for success, but I can give you a formula for failure. Try to please everybody all the time. That's not scripture, but I think that's pretty good. Look in the text. The third thing that we see is a warning about the word. The Word of God. Notice the last phrase of verse 15, and then on the end of verse 16, he says, rightly handle the Word of truth. Now, I love that word there, rightly handle. It literally means a straight cut. Cut it straight. I remember when I was 13 years old, I got my first full-time job. I was so excited. A guy that builds houses and did remodeling, he hired me. And when he told me that he was going to pay me $3.50 an hour, I thought I was rich. I mean, I did. 13 years old, I'm doing the math. And I was thinking, man, on Friday afternoon, I'm going to be going home with $140 in my pocket. I mean, this is going to be great. I mean, I, I'll have no, tr all the girls will want to date me because of all the money I've got. And look, I've got Misty today, right? I'm serious. I thought, man, I have arrived. But one of the things Mr. Ronnie taught me 
is that I would help him, and he taught me how to use a skill saw. How many of you used a skill saw before, all right? Just a, how many of you still have all your fingers? Still have all your fingers, all right? So you got to learn how to use it the safe way, right? But, but he would have me to cut boards for him, and he showed me how to use the skill saw and, uh, of course, how to use the tape measure, how to mark it off, how to draw that straight line on the board. And he would always say to me, look, you need, you need to cut it straight. You need to cut it right on that line because when we get to, uh, you know, putting it between two two-by-fours or whatever we're going to use it for, it needs to be the right length, and it doesn't need to have a diagonal cut on it or it won't be flush. That's exactly the word here in this text. The challenge for Timothy is a straight line, a straight line. It is a warning to not chop it up, change it around, but to cut it straight. H.B. Charles is a pastor in Jacksonville, Florida. Never heard him. He's a great expositor of the word, Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. But every September, he invites uh, a big group of pastors to come to his church, and he has a conference, and he calls that conference Cutting It Straight cutting it straight. And he bases it off of this text uh, here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15. Please hear me. You hear me say this often, but I need to say it again. We are living in a day where we need men of God, evangelists, pastors to stand up and preach the word of God. I celebrate everyone that does. I'm not the only one doing it in this town. I'm not the only one preaching the truth. And the ones that are, they're my friends. And I'm cheering them on. And I'm trying to learn from them. We're in a day today where the word of God is being twisted and watered down and people are trying to change it up. But God is just calling us back in our minds to say, no, 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 no. No, we must cut it straight. We must stick with the scriptures. Please, I beg you, settle that in your heart. Settle that in your heart. What do we need today? We need food for our souls. In this crazy, chaotic day and world, we need the word. The warning here is to get away from the word. It so easily happens. Notice verse number 16. Avoid pointless, worthless, irreverent babble. You didn't know that blah, 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 blah was in the Bible, did you? There it is right there. Babble. Chatter. Chatter. Avoid it. Stay away from it. Why? It's, it's serious. Look, it's, we shouldn't coddle it, accept it, or approve it. Why? Because it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. People sit around and try to deconstruct the Bible. Our daughter Rebecca's here this week and visiting with us, and we were talking about this the other day. People just sit around and try to deconstruct the Bible. Look, it's good to ask questions. Don't misconstrue what I'm saying. It's good to ask questions. It's good to sit down and help people understand the truth. But that's not what I'm talking about today. People are trying to pick apart, discredit. They might as well take a pair of scissors and cut certain pages out of the Bible. There are people who call themselves preachers that say, oh, that's not relevant today. Oh, we shouldn't watch that. Oh, we don't don't have to listen to that. And they're deconstructing the Scriptures. Now, Now, hear me. When we read through the Bible, there are descriptive and prescriptive things that we see. In other words, in the Bible, we we read narratives. We call those things descriptive. It's something that happened. 
And we have to be careful when we read descriptive passages that we don't try to build church doctrine over something that happened in a moment. We call those passages descriptive. And then there are passages that are prescriptive. Those are the things that should happen. The descriptive things are good. The prescriptive things are good. What we have today primarily are people today who want to take the things that should happen and say they shouldn't happen and discredit the Scriptures. And friends, when we do that, there's collateral damage. There are people that fall away. That's what the text says. More and more people will fall into ungodliness. More and more people will fall away from the truth. And notice verse 17, their talk will spread like gangrene. Their talk will spread. That word is also translated like a cancer. And I'm telling you not to be negative, but to give you the hard, cold facts, as the Bible tells us it will be, in the last days, men will fall away. They will wax worse and worse. And people who are in and around the church, they'll run off. And they'll find them teachers who have itching ears who tell them what they want to hear. And many times that means tell them that it's okay to live in sin and do it your own way. And that is not biblical Christianity. That is a cancer. That is gangrene. Notice that verse 18, or the end of verse 17, that Paul actually calls two dudes names. Now hear me today. If you're in and around the church, you do not want your legacy to be that you are the chairman of the gangrene committee. Okay? You don't want, listen, I promise you it happens. I promise you it happens. You don't want to be known as a cancer in the church. You don't want that. Some people get that title. As a matter of fact, here's a dude that Paul named in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and now he gets named again in 2 Timothy chapter 2 as the chairman of the gangrene committee. His name is Hymenaeus. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. What have they done, church? Say it out loud with me. What have they done? They have swerved from the truth. Say it with me. They have swerved from the truth. Now here again, what makes me think or you think that we can't swerve? That we, under the banner of love, or exploring and expanding our mind, I promise you, I'm a reader. I'm a reader. I don't just read books after people that think 100% like me. I'm not talking about living in a bubble and having your head in the sand. What makes you think that you and I can't be gullible and where we are right now standing on the truth because of the pressure and the furnace of what's going on under the banner of church and Christianity in our country today, what makes you think we can't get sucked into false teachings? It can happen. It can happen. Paul says they were over here. Notice if you swerve, at one time you were on the right road, at least that's what it implies to me, that they, they were around the truth, they heard the truth, but they swerved away from it. They went away from the word. How did they swerve away? This is important. They were trying to teach that the resurrection has already happened. And they're upsetting the faith of some. Now, I want you to look in your Bible. Put your eyes down there, will you? Or up on the screen. 
So these guys are saying, oh, the resurrection has already happened. What does that mean? Well, we know that the resurrection did happen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the third day he rose from the grave. That's not what Paul is referencing here. Remember these early church Christians? They, in Thessalonica and even in Corinth, they're wondering about the future. I mean, this Christianity thing is fresh to them, right? Jesus dying, being buried, rose again, middle 30s. Now we're in the mid-50s in Corinthians, and here we're into, uh, we get into the 60s, and these young Christians who don't have a canon of Scripture are wondering, what about my mom and dad? What about when I die? And the early apostles are saying, hey, here's our hope. Our hope is Jesus is coming again. There's a future resurrection where the graves are going to open up, and those who are alive here on earth, we're all going to be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and, and so will we ever be with the Lord, and that is our hope. Now imagine a young, tender Christian or someone who is hearing the gospel, hearing the words, no, nah, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. It would be easy for them to lose heart and to lose hope. That's why God, I believe, designed for the church of the living God to get together every week, even multiple times a week, for us to come together and be reminded that when you've got bells and whistles and red flashing lights going off in your brain to quit or to give up, that God brings us back together to say, no, I'm not giving up because my hope is in the Lord and my hope is in the Word of God. That's where my hope is today. I promise you my hope is not in our government. My hope is not in my bank account. My hope is not in this world. My hope is in Jesus Christ. And I don't care what kind of book comes out this month from Dr. Picklesheimer that says, well, the resurrection really didn't happen, or the Word of God is not true, I will ignore that and move forward knowing that my hope is in the Word of God. And I'm going to stay right in it until the trumpet sounds. Amen? Let me finish up. So the three W's, kiddos, our words, our work, and the Word, the Word of God. Last W in verse number 19. He gives a warning about our walk, about our walk. But God's firm foundation stands. It stands. Is your life today standing on the Word of God? Is it the foundation of your life? Is your life standing on the foundation of our Creator? Paul said it bears his seal. Remember in this time they would have understood the seal to be like the king dipping his ring in some ink and stamping a document that made it official. Someone would look at that document and say, yep, that's from the king. That's from the man in charge. Paul is saying there is a seal. There is a seal from God on the foundation on which we stand. Here it is. The Lord knows those who are his. Now, as I stand up here today as a pastor, I don't have special ESP or I don't have special pastoral goggles to put on and look around the room and, yep, save, 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 lost, save, save, they lost. I, honestly, 
I don't know if you're saved or lost. I don't. And, and let's be honest, again, there's some pastors who will be up preaching today. Unfortunately, the Lord's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. It's hard for us to wrap our brain around that, right? I mean, like, really? Somebody that's preaching today is not saved? At least that's what the Bible says. But though we, we don't really know, Paul reminds us here there's one that does know. The Lord knows who are his. Could you just feel that for a minute? I'm almost done. Could you just feel that for a minute? That the Lord knows who are his. That you belong to the Lord. You're his child. He loves you. He loves you. And you bear his name. Now, today I could say, well, I'm an Arrowwood. This is Josh Arrowwood and Andrew right here. My, my name's Arrowwood. I'm an Arrowwood. And you know what? I have no proof of that. I wasn't born in your family. You didn't adopt me. Um, I could call myself Arrowwood, but I'm not an Arrowwood. I'm a Coleman and always will be a Coleman. How many people today say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. If you say that, boy, I hope that you are. I hope you know the Lord. The Lord knows you and you know him. And y'all just got this sweet fellowship together because we bear his name. We bear his name. And in our walk, when you go to your work tomorrow, I hope the people that are around you know that you're a Christian. But secondly, I hope you live like it. I hope you act like it. I hope you talk like it. There's a warning today. What's the warning? The warning is, is that there are Christians, sometimes we don't act like it. And when we do that, we bring shame to the name of our Lord. The Lord knows who are His. And then He finishes it up by saying, because we bear His name, let everyone who names the name of the Lord do what? Depart from iniquity. Depart. Depart. That means get away from sin. It's important for us as Christians to keep short accounts with God, to not live in rebellion, to go our own way, do our own thing. But as we are tangled and engaged in this world, we know that when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the one who purchased our forgiveness with his blood. Therefore, what do we need to do? Hear me. This is what I believe. I don't believe you have to go to God and beg him, beg him, beg him to forgive you. He's already forgiven you through the blood of Jesus Christ. What he wants you to do is come transparent before him and present yourself and say, God, I have sinned. I've sinned. Oh, I've sinned. And there's just as much power in the blood of Jesus today as there was the day it ran down the cross. Do you believe that? What he wants us to do is confess, confess. So here's some warnings for us. Let's stand together. I'm done. A warning about our words. Someone came to me after the first service today and said, Pastor, if anybody needed that sermon today, it was me. I'm a people pleaser. Somebody else came to me today after the service and said, Pastor, I needed that because I'm going to tell you my words last night weren't very good with somebody. How many of you can relate to that? Our cruddy flesh gets us in a mess. There's a warning. How many of you are thankful for the Holy Spirit? 
when you get in those moments, that still small voice that says, don't do it, don't do it. We need to listen to that voice in our words, in our work, do what we do for the Lord, not unto men, but unto the Lord. In the word, in the way we handle it, in the way we live by it, and then in our walk, the way we live our, live our life day by day to bring glory to the Lord. Would you bow your head with me?